MSW Media. News Welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, April 20th, 2021. Today, the jury now has a case in the trial of Derek Chauvin and the murder of George Floyd. Proud Boys Biggs and Nordine have their bail revoked in the insurrection prosecution. Former guy lackey Michael Ellis steps down as head legal counsel for the NSA. The Supreme Court refuses to hear the Republican challenge to the Pennsylvania ballot deadline. And Dr. Fauci says gun violence is a public health emergency. I'm A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana, how are things? They're okay. They're okay. You know, I watched some of the trial today. I don't know. We'll get more into that. So that was a little bit shocking. The videos never get less upsetting, you know, as we watch them. Um, and other than that, I'm just getting through, getting through, I want to say getting through this week. It just started. So this may be a long one for me, <laughs> but because Monday feels like it lasted 10 days. Yeah, this was a really long day. Um, and there was a lot of news. And I was also watching the Chauvin trial. And uh, we're going to do a really deep dive into the the closing arguments and some of the motions for mistrial on cleanup on aisle forty five tomorrow. Um, but I, you know, I I couldn't help but you know notice also all the video how it never it never st- is not upsetting to watch and I thought it really yeah. was a bad play for the defense. Yes. To keep putting showing the video over and over and here look at this look at this and you just see. Derek Chauvin murdering George Floyd over and over and over again and him calling for his mom and him saying he can't breathe. I was like, why are you doing that? I mean, fine by me, but like <laughs> if I were the defense why, attorney. I, the, def- the defense compared elements, I believe as elements of the case, to chocolate chip cookie recipes. That pissed me off so much. They were like, okay, just like chocolate chip cookies has ingredients. Well, so do elements of the law. We call them elements, like these jurors are five. Oh, my God. And then God. to just talk about chocolate chip cookies for so long. Uh, and and then, of course, there was, you know, the, there <laughs> afterwards, and then the jury was sequestered, and then they had these little sidebars about, you know, the, the defense wants to move for a mistrial on multiple reasons, one of them being what Maxine Waters said. And they were like, you can do that on appeal. Um, but, you know, and the prosecution was like, look, you can't bring up these vague things like a couple of TV shows you heard about without naming the TV show, telling us what was said, telling us why it was this, and then finding out if this particular jury or anyone saw it and if it had any impact on them. You can bring all that up in appeal if you want. But to do it here, uh, you know, I this is why the prosecution thinks you should dismiss this uh, motion for mistrial, deny it. And and the judge did. The judge was like, right. what Congress people say don't, doesn't matter. Um, although the judge did say, and I, I, I wish he wouldn't have said this, he was like, look, if you have evidence of that, that's you could turn this conviction. If there's a conviction, you could turn it over on appeal with that information. Ugh, but you're going to have to bring it up. And I'm like, why did you say that, bro? Why are you doing their work for them? Like... It was because clearly was, uh, they're not doing it themselves. Yeah, I know. It was one of those moments where you're like, oh, cringeworthy. You're like, thanks for the the, the heave ho, the, the, the old uh, not heave ho, but the, the hand up for the for the defense there, judge. 
I felt like he was just playing to the camera. I don't know. We'll see. But the jury has the case now. I personally don't think that that could be overturned on appeal because then you would have to bring back and review every single case where a congressperson or a president, for example, mm-hmm. uh, said something about a trial when the trial was going on and you'd be able to appeal it if it were overturned. And you, it, it would. Th- it's not going to happen. I, it, it beans. I mean, that's my conjecture. It's just not going to happen. I agree. I agree. Uh, if you have any questions about the Chauvin trial, tonight I'll be on Stereo with Andrew Torres, the Stereo app, and we'll answer all your questions uh, about it. And you can sign up for that at Stereo.com slash Allison Gill. And it's it's free to do. And uh, I'm there with Dana also every Thursday, right? So it's fun. It is. Highlight- highlights of my week in, in addition to this podcast. Well, thank you. I'll thank you very much. I also, uh, talking to you is also a highlight of my week. Now, we do have tons of news. So let's do that. So let's much. The hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Lead story today is from Politico. A federal judge has revoked bail for two leaders of the Proud Boys. This is the paramilitary right-wing extremist group, very racist group, contending that newly revealed evidence uh, of their role in the January 6th breach of the Capitol has shown them to be too dangerous to remain free while awaiting trial. Hmm. Yeah, you think? I don't know why they're not all remanded, (laughs) but that's just me. Right? Now, Ethan Nordeen of Washington State and Joe Biggs of Florida are charged with conspiring to stop the certification of the 2020 election and with organizing and leading dozens of Proud Boys to the Capitol, many of whom were among the earliest, the first people to breach the Capitol doors, break windows and whatnot. Quote, the defendants stand charged with seeking to steal one of the crown jewels of our country, in a sense, by interfering with the peaceful transfer of power. That's Judge Timothy Kelly. Um, he, he said that as he explained his decision. It's no exaggeration, he continued, to say the rule of law and in the end the existence of our constitutional republic is threatened by it. Kelly's ruling reverses earlier decisions by federal judges to release Nordine and Biggs under strict conditions. Uh, in the government's earlier bid to detain Nordine, Judge Beryl Howe described weaknesses in the case that had been presented and prosecutors declined to present evidence supporting their most damaging claims, in part because they were preparing to unseal a graver set of charges against Nordine and other Proud Boys leaders. That indictment was issued in March, linking Nordine, Biggs, and two other Proud Boys regional leaders to Zach Reel and Charles Donahoe. Remember, we talked about all that, and that's why... Mm-hmm. They were like, it's bad. They're bad. We can't tell you why to remand them yet, but just trust us. And she's like, I can't do that. I got to see it. So there we go. Now, Judge Kelly, because, well, Donahoe is is facing separate detention hearing. um, Right. This afternoon. I still haven't heard heard about that yet. Now, this judge, Kelly, is an appointee of the former guy. Um, and said that new evidence presented by prosecutors showing Nordine and Biggs men's central role in orchestrating the incursion was a decisive factor in his ruling. He delivered a painstaking retelling of the case against the two men, reciting their profanity-laden social media posts, vowing violence against lawmakers and others preparing to certify the results of the election, as well as their private communications revealed by prosecutors as the investigation unfolded. Prosecutors say Nordine took an expanded leadership role, and we talked about this on on a previous episode. He took that role on January 4th after their leader, Tario Enrique Tario, was arrested upon arriving in D.C. on charges stemming from violence at an earlier pro-Trump protest. Uh, They say they helped craft the group's tactical strategy for January 6th, encouraging them to divide into smaller groups and overwhelm outmatched Capitol Police. Prosecutors are spelled. uh, They actually spelled out efforts by the group to cover their tracks 
once Tario was arrested, and they deleted all their previous groups and created a new group. That's why I didn't think Tario was the head of that group. Uh, Biggs, per the case, was the on-the-ground leader in the days leading up to January 6th. Then that morning, he was appointed contact for dozens of Proud Boys who traveled to D.C. Nordine and Biggs were among the earliest waves to arrive at the Capitol and were present when a police barrier was overrun, leading a wave of rioters to press closer to the building. Kelly also described the challenges of prosecuting a conspiracy case based on circumstantial evidence, which is a fairly common reality since criminal conspirators rarely document their plans explicitly. Like, you don't see text (laughs) messages like, let's conspire to do this. You know, (laughs) that's generally not what happens. But Kelly said the overwhelming volume of evidence showing that a plan existed, even if its specific contours are not entirely clear, show both men had strategized about how to stop the certification of the election. And during his lengthy ruling, Kelly joined a chorus of judges who have criticized former acting U.S. attorney uh, for Washington, D.C., Michael Sherwin, uh, over an interview he did with 60 Minutes. And we talked about that. Uh, so he was also on, on board, was like, that guy should just shut up. And he has shut up since. So that's good. Right. You know, with these judges, it's interesting because even though it's a former guy appointee, I, I don't. I think what he took for granted is that sure, these judges have. Uh, you know, they pack them because they want to overturn Roe v. Wade, and you know, when it comes to marginalized rights, a lot of these judges, though, I don't think he counted on the fact that they actually do, in their own way, want to love and protect this country and the Constitution. They may interpret it differently, but cases like this, I don't <laughs> think they're going to go the way Trump ever expected them to, and that's what he wasn't counting on. Yep. Yeah. We'll see what happens. We will see what happens. And now, speaking of trying to overturn election results, the Supreme Court on Monday rejected an appeal from Pennsylvania Republicans who said the Secretary of State had no authority to extend the deadline for receiving mail-in ballots in the 2020 general election. The court's denial, issued with no explanation and no noted dissents, was no surprise. The justices have consistently, consistently declined to take up any of the post-election challenges from the state, and there were many. (laughs) So Pennsylvania officials urged the court not to touch the case, declaring it, quote, as moot as moot can be. Given that the election is long since over, and that the total number of ballots at issue was less than the margin of victory in each of the state's federal races. Now, in other words, even if the challengers had prevailed, AG, in their legal challenge, it would not have affected the outcome, period. There just wasn't enough votes that they were qu- that were in question. Now, in other SCOTUS news, this is from Reuters, a majority of Americans want to end lifetime appointments for U.S. Supreme Court justices, and that's, an, that's according to an Ipsos poll for Reuters. The less than half are in favor of other efforts to reform the judiciary. You can add my list of names to end lifetime appointments, if you would, please. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. I mean, come on. I'm sure most of the listeners would be that the the country changes, the court needs to change with it. Now, the National Opinion Poll conducted on Thursday and Friday found that 63% of adults supported term or age limits for Supreme Court justices. Another 22% said they opposed any limits and the rest did not express an opinion. So the poll also found that only 38% would support expanding the size of the court by adding four more justices. I guarantee most of that 38% are are liberal. Another 42% said that they would oppose doing so, and the rest were unsure. Mm -hmm. And that 38%, you guarantee most are liberal because liberal people know what the right thing to do is. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's not just because because that we are outnumbered right now on the court. There should be more justices on the court, period. Um, So, 
President Biden has formed a bipartisan committee to look at the merits of adding justices as well as other potential reforms to the court. Now, while Congress has the power to change the number of justices who sit on the court, legal scholars believe it would likely require a constitutional amendment to end their lifetime appointments. Ah. I know, very unfortunate, uh, because we know how easy it is to amend the Constitution. (laughs) Now, the poll found that only 49% of Americans have a great deal or fair amount of confidence in decisions made by the Supreme Court justices. That is not a good number. In comparison, 43% of respondents expressed a similar amount of trust in decisions made by the White House. And 32% that said the same amount of decisions made by Congress. What those numbers tell me is that people don't trust the government (laughs) or anything that has to do with it at this point. Yeah, pretty much. Speaking of not trusting the government, Michael Ellis, a former Republican political operative, uh, he resigned Friday as the National Security Agency's top lawyer because he was sidelined for three months after Biden took office. You'd remember Michael Ellis. We heard his name come up quite a bit in the first impeachment of the former guy because he was the one who decided to stash all of the conversations in that super code word top secret system called the NICE system. Right. Yeah, that's that guy. Also a former Nunez lackey. Now, the NSA director, Paul Nakasone, had placed Ellis on administrative leave the day the former guy left the White House, just as Ellis was taking up the position. The reasons? A pending Pentagon Inspector General probe. That's according to an official who told the Washington Post at the time, and a security inquiry into Ellis's handling of classified information, according to a letter from Ellis's attorney to Nakasone, a copy of which was obtained by the Washington Post. Nakasone had agreed to install Ellis as general counsel just days earlier under orders from the Trump's acting defense secretary. The rule does not require Senate confirmation. The inspector general inquiry into the circumstances of Ellis's selection remains open. Nakasone told Congress on Thursday that th- this investigation is still going on. The Pentagon general counsel under White House pressure named Ellis in November to head the NSA's legal department. The NSA, by the way, is part of the Department of Defense. The move raised concerns among Democrats and national security experts that it was an attempt by the former guy administration to install a loyalist in a sensitive senior position, one with visibility into the activities of other U.S. spy agencies. That's called burrowing when when they do that. They, they put somebody in there and, and right. make them hard to remove. And I would guarantee, yeah, that's where my beans are. Just saying that's that's what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and David Ellis and Ellen Nakashima reported that both Michael Ellis and Kash Patel, both Nunez associates, are under investigation for leaking classified information. So we'll keep you posted on that as well. And something popped up today, interestingly enough, from uh, uh, there was a statement saying that some former guy appointee has been... Uh, he, he's left his job because he failed to show up for an interview and then he resigned and they didn't name who it was. And at first I was like, oh, maybe it's Ellis, right? right. But Ellis worked for NSA, which is part of the D- Department of Defense, right? And so that wouldn't be Department of Justice, Inspector General. They they have their own. Right. Uh, Pentagon has their own Inspector General. So I was thinking maybe it was Clark, uh, who 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 it could be? But I I we don't know. They weren't named in that specific little blurb that came out today. But we'll keep an eye on it for you. Oh, that's going to continue to develop for sure. Looking forward to seeing who it is too. Um, my doctor, the doctor, Doctor Anthony Fauci, and as we know, that's uh, the president's chief medical advisor. He acknowledged Sunday that gun violence in the U.S. 
is a public health emergency. I would be surprised if this is not the first time this has been said, but I'm glad it's being said now. Fauci said, myself as a public health person, I think you can't run away from that. When you see people getting killed in this last month, it's just been horrifying what's happening. How can you say that's not a public health issue? That's what he told CNN, CNN's Dana Bash on State of the Union, when asked if gun violence was a public health emergency. So Fauci's comments come after a rash of mass shootings in the past month. The U.S. has suffered at least 45 mass shootings since March 16th when eight people were killed at the Atlanta area spas. Now that's according to CNN reporting and an analysis of data from the gun violence archive, otherwise the GBA, local media and police reports. CNN considers an incident to be a mass shooting if four more people, and that's excluding the gunmen, are wounded or killed by gunfire. Now after mass shooting in an Indianapolis FedEx facility that left at least eight people dead last week, Biden called the recent spate of mass shootings, quote, a national embarrassment and urged Congress to take action. In March, the Democratic-led House passed two gun reform bills that would expand background checks, including one that would require checks for all sales and transfers, including between private parties at gun shows and over the Internet. This is huge because that's where a lot of them are being purchased. Mm -hmm. The legislation has stalled in the Senate, of course, because we don't have a big enough majority right now. And Connecticut um, Senators Chris Murphy and Richard Blumenthal, both Democrats, have been reaching out to Republicans to see if there could be any support for gun legislation that would reach the 60 votes in the chamber needed to pass. It is unfathomable to me, A.G., that Republicans are fighting this day in and day out, mass casualties in this country. And meanwhile, they're trying to fucking keep trans kids out of sports. It's infuriating. Yeah. 80% of Americans want these background checks passed. And the NRA doesn't have any more fucking money. No. Now, I don't even understand. Like, it doesn't even make sense to me. It it would sort of make, I would still be infuriated by it, but it would at least make sense to me if the NRA was a still robust multi-million dollar corporation. Uh, not corporation, but 501c3. But they're not. They're they're filing for bankruptcy and trying to move to Texas, and they're in they're in their death throes. So what is it? It's they got to be their. It can't be their constituents because eighty percent of Americans want this. I just don't understand it. I don't understand. I don't either. It, it's it's and it is so angering. There are more guns in this country than people. That's a problem. That's a pen. That's a, that's an epidemic. Yeah, and it is it is a public health. Uh, emergency. I'm glad the doctor said so. I'm going to just call him the doctor from now on. And uh, I, because <laughs> he is, he's the doctor. Yeah. Uh, there isn't another the doctor, right? He's he's the doctor. I mean, there's probably some, like in some TV show, but that's not what we're, we're stick with politics, people. Stick with politics. Yeah. The doctor. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad that he said so. And, and I'm hoping we're now studying gun violence because we weren't allowed to for so long. Yep. Indeed. Indeed. All right. We'll be right back with former columnist from the Orlando Sentinel, Lauren Ritchie. We're going to discuss her work on Matt Gates' associate, Joel Greenberg. You don't want to miss it. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG for the beans. Nowadays, there's so many products designed to have planned obsolescence, meaning they're going to expire before they should, which forces us to buy them over and over. In the grandparents' days, things were built to last, and sometimes looking at the past and going back to craftsmanship of yesteryear helps us forge a better future. And here's an example. Bayard Winthrop, CEO and founder of American Giant, grew up with a sweatshirt from the 50s that his father gave him. Today, it's still in his closet, and it still looks better than ever. With a durable sweatshirt in mind, uh, you know, he, he thought American Giant. 
and that he launched with a classic full-zip hoodie as their flagship product, aiming to revive local manufacturing and craft-quality clothing made to last a lifetime. American Giant believes clothes should be wearable for years so you don't buy more than you need and they don't end up in landfills. With their passion to truly durable clothing, they've crafted with what Slate magazine calls the greatest hoodie ever made, the classic full-zip hoodie. Slate says, but there really is no comparison between American Giant's hoodie and the competition. It looks better, feels sustainable, it's more durable. When you wear this hoodie, you'll wonder why all of your clothes aren't made this well. American Giant is obsessed over every detail in this hoodie, so you'll be obsessed with it too. They even brought a former Apple industrial designer to come help during the design process. It's 100% American made with custom developed heavyweight cotton fleece, reinforced elbow patches to protect against wear, and durable double lined hood and metal hardware built for a lifetime. When I first tried the classic full zip, I was so impressed at the amazing craftsmanship and feel. The side panels provide more mobility and a slim body skimming fit. It is softer, it's more comfortable, it's more durable, and more well made than any I've ever worn before. So I definitely agree. It is the greatest hoodie ever made. Get your classic full zip hoodie at American-Giant.com today and use promo code DAILYBEANS for 15% off your first order. That is 15% off your first order when you use code DAILYBEANS at American-Giant.com. Everybody, welcome back. I am joined today by former columnist for the Orlando Sentinel who did early and extensive reporting on government accountability and Matt Gates's associate, Joel Greenberg. Please welcome Lauren Ritchie. Lauren, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. It is really, really great to talk to you. The reason I wanted to have you on, first of all, one of our, our listeners um, said you should really talk to Lauren Ritchie. She did a, a lot of great work in the early days. And, uh, and so that's why we reached out to you. And the name Joel Greenberg only recently came to the attention of, of the rest of America uh, with what's going on with with Matt Gates and the trip to the Bahamas and the sex trafficking crimes and the investigation into Matt Gates, et cetera. But you've been covering for a while now, and I was hoping you could tell us about some of your early reporting on uh, local local columns that you did on Joel Greenberg. Well, the fir- I think the first one I did was when he first got elected, which was in 2016. He beat a longtime tax collector who was accused of using the office for his own uh, his own financial interests. And so Joel ran on this uh, on this phrase, capital, crony capitalism. People are sick of crony capitalism and politicians using their offices for political gain. And he won. And the first thing he did was, um, well, it's a little strange how budgets work here in Florida because he took office in January of 2017, but he doesn't get to submit a budget until... September of 2017, which is six, seven months later. So the first thing he did, he had to survive on whatever his uh, previous tax collector left him. Then he comes into the Seminole County Commission, and the first thing he does is he wants 20% more money and like 30-some people extra. And I'm looking at this going, what? (laughs) That's just crazy. Um, and, but I also had the benefit of reading the reporting of a fellow named Martin Comas, who has been covering Seminole County for many years for the Orlando Sentinel. And he was writing all kinds of strange stuff about Joel. Uh, one of the things was that Joel just stopped a woman in his neighborhood and uh told her that she was speeding and he's wearing a badge and uh, carrying a gun. It was just ridiculous stuff. 
And uh, so the we had flags going up about this fella early on, uh, including a, a transaction involving uh, a piece of land in Seminole County that was sold to a party who uh, no one knows who the guy was. He was just an old bartender from a place that people in politics used to uh, used to frequent. And he ended up buying a building for, uh, you know, well, it was half a million or something. I can't remember the exact number, but it was sold an hour later and uh, for a tax office. And the county paid a couple hundred thousand dollars more than the previous hour's sale. So you have to, you have to ask yourself, uh, how'd that happen? Why isn't somebody being indicted? So there were plenty of things going on at the time that I decided it was time to look a little more deeply into Joel and how he was spending taxpayer money. That's what I did. Well, that's a huge red flag for money laundering right there to buy something and sell it an hour later. Right. First, you know, I mean, just a quarter million more. <laughs> Somebody made a nice profit. I'm not sure who, but <laughs> I don't think it was this old bartender. Mm, no, likely not. And we we know from from previous investigations and reporting from FinCEN and uh, the Mueller investigation that there was a lot of Trump property bought and sold that way. I know that Trump had a, a mansion down there that he sold that he sold for half of what it was worth or twice what it was worth. And that was turned around and sold for uh, half of what it was worth. I mean, it, it's just sort of I think 84 percent of Trump real estate sales in, in Florida went to Russians. Uh, I mean, it's just whatever's going on down there with, with him and Bayrock. I mean, I can't, there just seems to be so much corruption in, in the Florida Republican Party that, I mean, the fact that, that Greenberg ran on get rid of the corruption uh, and these cronies and then turned around and asked for more money. And then we now know from his indictments what he spent that money on. <laughs> well, he, he spent at least some of it uh, on... $3.5 million on uh, contracts to outside consultants and new employees, um, including a lawyer that was his uncle when he was growing up. The fellow was married to his aunt. And uh, three of his groomsmen, several other people who attended the wedding. I mean, all in all, it's you know $3.5 million to his buddies. And for what? It's kind of hard to tell. I mean, there's now, when I wrote the story back in October of, two, of uh, 2019, it was difficult, if not impossible, to know what much of it was spent on, although some of it, you know, some of it was clear. But this audit that they've had done since uh, just looks at, for example, some of the legal fees. Uh, there's a uh, you know, four or five lawyers at a, at a pop working for the guy. And you look around and I compared it to other big tax collectors and none of them has a lawyer of their own. Uh, they have a tax collector association and a fella who is uh, a specialist in tax collector issues is, is the lawyer who handles much of the litigation and questions from tax collectors across the state of Florida. 
but Joel needs, you know, four lawyers at a time. <laughs> yeah. And I asked him why. I had a long interview with him. Uh, I've had several interviews with him, actually. And he said, you know, my ideas come to me so fast that I have, I have to have an answer. I need an answer right away. Uh, okay. <laughs> on, on whether it's legal? Yeah, whether something's <laughs> yeah, that's, legal. That's interesting. Whether, I mean, this whole Bitcoin operation, for example, that he set up, uh, you know, it was set up as a for-profit company. Of course, he doesn't see it that way. He says that he was told to set it up as a for-profit company because it couldn't be set up as part of the tax collector's office. He wanted to be able to accept Bitcoin as tax payments and other cryptocurrencies, but mainly mainly Bitcoin. And of course, that went all to hell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because he used it. Uh, I don't. I don't think there was ever anybody who paid in Bitcoin, or there might have been one person at one time uh, who paid in Bitcoin. But of course, it was just, you know, a, a crazy idea that had not, it would be not so crazy 15 years from now, but it, it's really way too, uh, way too out there for tax collectors who are, you know, pretty, pretty stolid kind of people here in Florida. And of course, when you throw our man Joel into this, you get crazy stuff. Like he tried to do crypto mining with his uh, Bitcoin operation and ended up setting the office on fire and had to, had to call fire department because he bought a server that was too small to handle um, crypto mining. And yeah, that's just pretty typical of the kind of stuff Joel does when he gets going. Yeah. And, and it, he, I mean, he's now been indicted on 33 counts, including wire fraud. I mean, there's just so many things the the hits keep coming for this, for this guy. But yeah, I, I, I don't think I've seen a, a, a charging document on a corrupt operation for money laundering without cryptocurrency being mentioned somewhere. Now, right. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, he's a tax collector. I'm wondering also if his lawyers, his five lawyers had any lawyers. We're talking about Bitcoin. I have a couple more questions, particularly on, on the story that you did uh, last year in January on this $3.5 million in contracts. But I do have to take a quick break. Would you mind sticking around with me for just another minute? Love to. Oh, great. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Beans, and I've got a question for you. Did you sign up for a bunch of subscription services during quarantine like I did, but now that you're heading back into the world and you and your family no longer need all those apps and streaming video services and things, subscriptions add up, and sometimes we don't notice the monthly deductions from our bank accounts. 80% of people have subscriptions they don't know about. Are you one of them? If so, I recommend trying Truebill. Truebill is the easy-to-use app, and it's the smartest way to manage your finances. With a variety of tools to help customers improve their money, Truebill lets you review your recurring charges in one place and cancel subscriptions 
conversations directly through the app. Create a monthly budget and expense. You can track and evaluate savings goals and get automated savings when you choose how much to put away weekly. You can get push notifications when you're getting close to going over your budget, too. And with Truebill, you can easily identify fraudulent activity. Truebill offers multiple ways to save money and allows you to work with many of the nation's top providers to negotiate lower bills, including AT&T, T-Mobile, and Spectrum. With bank-level security, Truebill helps you feel good about your finances and has saved users more than $50 million with over 1 million users. Read their rave reviews at Truebill.com. The average person saves 720 bucks a year with Truebill. Get started today at Truebill.com slash beans. Take control of your finances and start saving at Truebill.com slash beans. Again, that's Truebill.com slash beans. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking to former columnist for the Orlando Sentinel, uh, Lauren Ritchie. She did uh, work about uh, stories about Joel Greenberg, columns about Greenberg, and also, I mean, just in general, uh, government accountability and corruption. And uh, before the break, you'd mentioned some of his dabbling in Bitcoin and uh, so what, a, what a lot of these other uh, Florida Republicans were doing. And uh, he was the tax collector. Can you just tell us briefly what a tax collector does in, in Florida? Because I was a little confused about the identification story where Matt Gates and he were in the dark at night when right. the office was closed looking through IDs. Do the tax collectors actually issue IDs in, in Florida? Yes, they do. This is relatively new. Um, tax collectors for m- many years had just simply collected taxes, uh, property taxes, uh, taxes on, you know, you register a car, you pay taxes, uh, stuff like that. Very basic things. And then the, um, DMV portion of the state was handed over to the tax collectors. So they began issuing driver licenses. And with the driver's licenses, they also issued uh, identification cards, which you can obtain in Florida if you don't drive. So they began, um, you know, they do everything. They take a picture, they give you an eye exam, uh, and they make the driver's license right there, and you walk out with your new DL. And if you give them, you have an option to just leave your DL there, your old one, or take it with you. And the driver's licenses that they were uh, accused of fiddling with are the ones that people had left there, and they were in a bin, and typically they were shredded. But Joel uh, came along and snagged up once that he wanted and uh, and is accused of making new IDs with new pictures on them and the information of real people. Yeah, okay. So if you wanted to make a fake ID, the tax collector probably has all the, uh, all the everything <laughs> that he needs, including those left behind driver's licenses. Yes, he does. Yeah, and so in this new reporting with, you know, with Matt Gates and um, the underage girl uh, at the you know at the center of this um, sex trafficking case. Uh, they all of the public reporting I've read so far says she was born in '99, et cetera, et cetera. She turned she had just turned 18 when they made that Bahamas trip. But all of the public reporting is is very careful to say we have not yet verified the actual birthday of this uh, of this person. And so I I find that very interesting that that um, and and I know that. Uh, Halsey Bashirs on his way back from that Bahamas trip had uh, five women or something with him and three of them looked so young customs stopped them and I just can't help but speculate that they all had fake identification on them that they were indeed 
underage. Now, that hasn't been proven. Uh, but I mean, what else would you be going through those IDs for at night uh, at 400 miles away from where Matt Gates was? Of course, Matt Gates says, oh, I lost my wallet and I needed a new ID. So I went uh, we sifted through the box of lost and found IDs to get me an ID. <laughs> that just makes no sense. <laughs> well, I think so many people inside Joel's office conspired to keep him out of the actual running of the office that he just had way too much time on his hands. And so he'd be he'd be just moseying through these, taking a look and had all, I mean, he's right. He has tons and tons of ideas. Most of them were really bad ideas, <laughs> but his brain functions at an alarming pace that I can I can attest to. Yeah. So I would not be surprised if your speculation turns out to be accurate. Yeah, that's that's what I that's what I feel. That those are my feelings, and I just want to make sure everybody knows that I'm merely this is merely conjecture. But gosh, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the circumstantial evidence is is pretty pretty damning. Now, uh, regarding the corruption in the GOP in Florida, I know that there have now been women who've spoken to CNN saying that they attended. Uh, sex parties, drug parties. Everybody's doing recreational drugs, having sex. Uh, it was Republicans. They would confiscate these women and girls, potentially their phones at the door so they couldn't record anything of what was happening at these parties. And there were a lot of prominent, apparently, Republicans there. And I think when they talked about other prominent Republicans, they were talking about Halsey, Bashirs. But who, who, I mean, who else do you think Ron DeSantis could be wrapped up in this, particularly in in that whole scheme to run sham candidates to siphon votes off of other Democrats? I mean, it just seems like he couldn't not have his hands in that. Well, I would hate to think that the governor was involved in something like that. Uh, but you're talking about two real different things here. You're talking about something that's an actual felony. Yeah. As opposed to something that would probably be considered dirty tricks. And I don't think I've met very many Republicans in Florida who are above dirty tricks. Uh, but I've met plenty of them who, who are going to be caught in a felony. Uh, and I think, you know, if you were able to talk to Joel right now, I think he would tell you that the things that he did were not felonies and he'd have an explanation for them. It's just that his explanation would be bizarre. But I think he truly believes that what he did was not wrong in the sense of violating the law. Um, DeSantis is a different kettle of fish, so to speak. Um, he's, of course, he's got his position due to Donald Trump. And I'm sure you've seen that DeSantis is a likely candidate for 2024 uh, for the for the presidential race, and we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, but he's the kind of guy that tends to step back and watch. And there's no question that people all, who are involved in politics all over Florida knew that folks like Matt Gates, their buddy Chris Dorworth, who was a uh, who was a uh, house a former House member, and is a consultant and lawyer, or I'm sorry, consultant and developer in Seminole County, um, and Joel Greenberg, and and now this uh, Dr. Pirozolo from Orlando. Uh, 
everybody saw pieces of what was going on. Um, and I, you know, I had one fellow who's an FBI snitch tell me that this is what happens when you get entitled young men, entitled young white men, uh, suddenly get a little bit of power and they think they can, they just own the world. They can go out and do. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, and I think one of these women actually uh, told Politico, I think one of the women who went on the Bahamas trip actually told Politico that t- her quote is, Tallahassee is like high school, but nobody ever graduates. That's exactly, <laughs> exactly right. And I think that's, that comparison's been made many times. Uh, Tallahassee is, oh my gosh, especially during the legislative session, it can be a real cesspool. And the things that go on up there just make your eyes roll. Uh, but they've been successful at it for so many years that nobody's told them, hey, step back, fellas, you're over the line. <laughs> and people don't tell them that. Yeah. Now, and now prosecutors have said that they're prosecutors have said that they're thinking uh, that within weeks they may be cooperating with Joel Greenberg. I wonder why he hasn't why there hasn't been. Uh, an official plea agreement or cooperation up to this point. I mean, there's 33 charges. I, maybe just Greenberg is is not a not somebody you want to put up on the witness stand for your case. <laughs> I, that's the only thing I can think of. But yes. it seems like it seems like he will be cooperating, and you can get leads out of that, and then you can go find other evidence, so you don't have to rely on on Joel Greenberg. But I'm wondering how many Florida Republicans are going to be rolled up in this. I mean, it seems like. It's far-reaching, and it goes far beyond just Matt Gates and Halsey, Bashirs and Dorworth, who you just mentioned, and Greenberg. It seems like it, it's going to ensnare a lot of, of folks. And like you said, those sham candidate situations, it's not illegal to run a sham candidate. Uh, the only reason Artiles and Rodriguez were indicted was because there was a $50,000 contribution to pay him to run, uh, which is, that's that's a, f- a campaign finance violation. So, but, you know, with, with these fake IDs and these... Young girls, I, I'm just I'm interested to see where this all ends up, but I know it's a, a wide ranging investigation, or we probably would have heard something by now. I think so. I think there there probably are some other folks who will get rolled up in the thing. Um, I'm frankly surprised that Matt Gates did. Uh, I don't know Gates; I've never met him, but I've kept up with his father's career. I've spoken to his father a number of times, and I've always admired um, his straightforwardness and his work. Uh, he's a big ethics promoter. I, I feel kind of bad that his son has gotten himself into this position and, um, you know, boy, he cares very deeply about, uh, you know, has, he's now left in the spot of either defending him or not. And I think part of the problem is. Yeah. Caught up in, enough to the point where, where Don, right, it's Don correct. Gates, right? Yeah. Papa Gates has, has that, has actually crossed some ethical lines to defend his son. I don't son. know if he's done that, but he certainly, um, I mean, he did He did say that he wore a wire for the FBI for what now seems like uh, kind of a silly, you know, they claim they were being extorted. But, I mean, when you hear the facts of it, you can, everybody just has sort of rolled their eyes at this point. And it was... <laughs> yeah, us too. <laughs> I imagine. It's like, yeah, it's a nice diversion, but... It's not the truth. But, you know, it all comes back to Joel Greenberg. And the reason is 
that if you meet Joel, he's charming. You'll like him. Uh, he's, he's a fun guy. I had a, after uh, my stories ran and they were not complimentary stories, uh, he wanted to have a, <laughs> he wanted to have a drink. I said, sure, why not? So I met him at some little dive bar out in Seminole County in Altamont Springs. And we just sat and talked and, um, Part of, like I say, part of it is if you're not around him enough, you think he's just like you are, this right-wing, like super right-wing believer. And that's what brought all these guys together. But if you're around him a little bit more, you begin to see the edges fraying. And you can see that that boy just ain't right. And... <laughs> you begin to see that there's more to it than he's just a right-wing supporter. Uh, well, we'll see what happens. This is going to play out right before our eyes. And uh, I appreciate you talking to me today. I appreciate all the work that you've done uh, on your columns in the Orlando Orlando Sentinel. And uh, I, I really thank you for joining us today. Everybody, Lauren Ritchie, I appreciate your time. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey everybody, it's AG, and this segment of the pod is brought to you by BetterHelp. They provide professional, convenient online counseling. Life is very unpredictable, stressful, and at times, overwhelming. When I'm feeling the pressure and anxiety of tough situations, I try to remember I don't have to face it alone, and neither do you. So if you're dealing with anything preventing you from living your happiest life, I recommend BetterHelp. BetterHelp provides professional counseling to help you navigate life's challenges. And it's not a crisis line or self-help, it's licensed professional therapy done online. They'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating securely in under 24 hours. You know, I've had my own challenges with anxiety and post-traumatic stress, and I know how important it is to seek help rather than to try to face it alone. And I love how convenient BetterHelp service is. It's available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime from anywhere and message your counselor, and you get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, too, so they make it easy and free to change your counselor. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So visit their website and read some testimonials, like this one from BetterHelp user AN, who says... Uh, Andrea Bray Ryan has helped me more than I could imagine possible. She's kind, attentive, and offers a unique variety of ways to help the healing process. I'll always recommend her to anyone looking for a counselor who actually cares, listens, and offers a safe space. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news is on the way. And joining me today for the good news is Dana Goldberg. We have a lot of really great submissions, so many great pet photos. You guys keep sending them in, just waves and waves of good news. Send them in to us at dailybeanspod.com. And then when you're there, you click on contact, and then you'll see a little drop-down menu. You have a confession, a correction. You want to play, uh, I don't know if what the mutt's in there specifically. Uh, there's a general category if you just want to say hi. There's so many things <laughs> that you can submit. If you, have a, if you have an idea for a new game to play, uh, please just let us know and, and kick us off. We'll be happy to do it. Um, so I'm going to kick us off right now with, a, with our first submission from Anonymous, pronouns they and them has a correction, hoping you don't get flooded with these. Stevia is a plant used as a sugar substitute, not an artificial sweetener. It does taste oddly artificial, and it's often mixed with artificial sweeteners. 
Sad anecdote. My former dog got into a stevia plant and got very sick. He made it out okay, but make sure your listeners know not to let pets around stevia. Oh, wow. There you go. There you have it. I knew that that wasn't an artificial sweetener. I just hate, I still hate the way it tastes. I can't do the aftertaste thing. I can taste Mm -hmm. stevia in any recipe. Interesting. If someone hands me something, like even if it's baked, yep, I'm very highly sensitive to it. Um, but thank you for the correction. I know AG and I were joking about that when it came when it came to <laughs> Matt Gates being a, a, a sugar daddy. We're like, nah, maybe he's an artificial Stevia. sweetener daddy. Yep. <laughs> All right. Next up, here's some good news. This is from Ian pronouncing him. Ladies, just got my second dose. Woo-hoo. If the reaction was an indication of how the real deal would have treated me, it wouldn't have been good. I also convinced my conservative coworker to go get his first dose with me. I'm former Navy, current contractor. Thank you for your service. I work with a lot of people that downplay the virus or outright deny it. I'm happy I snagged one of them for the greater good. I would spew love all over you about your fantastic news reporting, but you hear it from everyone already. Keep doing your good work. I know. Come on. Keep doing your good work. I will continue to listen to your voices as I shower and prepare for days around the less enlightened. For my pod pet tax, I have an ex-roommate's dog and my ex-wife's dog. Traveling as much as I do for work, having a fur friend would be irresponsible but i miss it oh my god are we supposed to guess do we guess there's a bunch of dots are we guessing mutts here i'm gonna guess this the floofy one looks like a husky malamute for sure the other one looks like a adobe kind of a shepherd mix all right let's see scared looking doggo is half doby half aussie aussie okay fluffy bastard is half husky half malamute woohoo well done. I got everything but the Aussie. Nice job. Killing it today. Thanks, bro. All right. Next up from Renee. Pronouns she and her. Dear Beans Queens, I caught COVID working on Election Day 2020. While I was careful, I probably told 300 mag idiots to cover their noses. I was really sick for four plus weeks. I shared COVID with my family, including my then 96-year-old mom. Mom was hospitalized for two plus weeks, then released to hospice. It was awful. The medical professionals thought she would surely die. They don't know my mom. Through the months, we cared for her, and she very slowly got better. Last month, we downgraded her care from hospice to palliative. She now gets PT and OT to recover some strength. Our bathrooms are on the second floor, so we rented a stairlift. And last week, Mom had her first real shower since she was in the hospital in November. She's had ups and downs and has been hospitalized for short stays, but she is much better. On April 15th, I got my first COVID shot. My mom has had both. My hubby and daughter also have their first shots. All Pfizer, amusingly, except for my mom. We were all super tired after the first shot. Mom was fine after both. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) nobody knows. You're right, man. They don't know your mom. While things won't uh, be like they were before COVID, it's better. Soon my brother, who lives out of state, can visit my mom. She hasn't seen him since late 2019 before COVID. For my pet tax, I submit these rare animals seen in our yard on Easter. <laughs> oh, my God. These standard poodles. Look how cute. Oh, oh there's, there's mom. mom. <laughs> That's got to be mom. Oh, wonderful. Cute bunny ears. Oh. Thank you. I'm glad everyone is okay. Thank you for um, volunteering for the election. Uh, I'm sorry you took home germs with it, but you obviously did a lot of good. So thank you. Thank you. All right. This one's from Anonymous. Pronouns she and her. Dear priestesses of the Order of the Bean. For the, share I, for the share I swear, my mom would like to present her memory of a song on the radio she heard as a child in the 60s and 70s, wherein the singer clearly intends you to understand they mean shit, but replaces it with shaving cream. My mother does not curse and would inform my teenage self in the ex- exasperation that 
fuck is not actually a punctuation mark to which I would usually reply it it's for fucking emphasis. <laughs> my poor mother eventually gave up and surrendered my mouth to its very colorful language for my own favorite swears. I present with, I present you with sweet and salty Christ on a crispy cracker. If I'm feeling fancy, but to be honest, I'm more of a profanity purist. A motherfucker place with the right tone and precision is a thing of beauty. That ability is one for the reason Samuel L. Jackson is one of my favorite humans. Love all of you ladies. I think I know what song that they're talking about. And I think I heard it when I was a kid on, on Dr. Demento. Really? Uh, and it's like shaving cream, be nice and clean, shave every day and you'll always look keen. I think I'll break off with my girlfriend. Her antics are, I'll admit, each time I say, darling, I love you, she tells me that I'm full of shaving cream, be nice oh, and clean. Like That sounds yeah. right. Uh, why you mm-hmm. do okay are you reading the words did you know that because i know you googled i heard your little fingers at work <laughs> no i knew the song but i was googling the lyrics <laughs> no it's still impressive very impressive i knew the chorus but i couldn't remember the stuff that led it our baby fell out of the window you'd think her head would be split but good luck was with her that morning she fell in a barrel of shaving cream be nice and clean yeah <laughs> someone did a good job with that <laughs> yeah interesting interesting um all right. Uh, yeah, Dr. Demento. I'm, I'm surprised she didn't put the lyrics in here. It's really funny. You got some schnauzers. Yeah, resistance schnauzers, as a matter of fact, who has uh, written in to say, just got my second dose of Moderna. Okay, I really don't have a whole lot of special good news to share. That's really good news, resistance schnauzers. Indeed. She goes, uh, but since you always guess my miniature schnauzer in, <laughs> you always guess miniature schnauzer in Guess the Mutt, and you're always, and you're always wrong. wrong. You're a freebie. <laughs> what breed is Rocky? Hint, my Twitter handle probably gives it away. <laughs> Just resistant schnauzers. I think Rocky's a schnauzer. Mm, I think so too. Schnauzer, we got a schnauzer right. Woohoo! <laughs> okay. This next one's from Anonymous. This is our last one for the day. Pronouns she and her. A close relative of mine has been into Q since the very start. They're also a total Trump humper. I've been loath to cut them off, but instead insisting on strict boundaries. I happened to search their username online and found all kinds of really toxic comments. It was so upsetting to say the least. I realized I shouldn't push it to the side anymore. And I sent them screen grabs and told them how it made me feel. Beans friends, we had a breakthrough. They admitted it was all toxic circle jerk and deleted their accounts. Further, this relative had already been seeing a therapist to understand why they were struggling. I told them I loved them and was proud of them and wouldn't have confronted them if I didn't love them so much. They came over. I know that's amazing. They came over today and all of their radical stickers on their car are gone. All of them. I'm shaking as I write this like an anxious, sad cloud is lifted. Folks, there is hope. I feel like I'm getting my loved one back and it's simply amazing. Best of luck to all of you with relatives who you worry are lost. They may not be. That's incredible. That's awesome. <sighs> yeah, that uh, brings me so much joy. Yeah, every once in a while, AG, you know, I get a lot of hate mail. I'm sure you do too, unfortunately, just because there's, you know, these keyboard warriors. Every once in a while, I'll see a little bit of humanity in one of their posts and I'll write him back. And instead of reacting, I'll say, hey, let me like, let me understand. And for some reason, once or twice, I've actually been able to have a really informative conversation with someone. Doesn't always go well. No. I'm just saying, if you can reach one person and you have the skin, the skin, you know, the thick skin to do it, you know, try reaching out sometime. It actually can help. 
And that's the key. If you if you have the thick skin to do it, like if 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 you're able to mentally, uh, and because we've seen so many people like try to push people to to reach out, but there, there there's a lot of people who aren't who don't who shouldn't, you know, yeah. like no, that's you know, you draw your boundaries where you decide to draw your boundaries, you know. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. Yeah. All right, everybody. Speaking of boundaries, I'm about to do my sign off. Do you have any last? Uh, Last, do you have any last words? No last words today. <laughs> Thanks for the cigarette and the meal. Take care, everyone. <laughs> You're welcome. Everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is directed, written, and hosted by executive producer Allison Gill and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Audio. Staff writers include Dana Goldberg, Amy Carrero, and Allison Gill. Our copy is written by Jesse Egan, and our marketing manager, executive assistant, and social media director is Kanai. Fact-checking and research by Allison Gill, Dana Goldberg, and Amy Carrero. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder of Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. Hey, everybody, do not miss our Daily Beans After Party on the Stereo app. We'll be going live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Dana and I want to hear from you. Our last stereo show went a little bit like this. What about you, ladies? What are your favorite nonsensical songs? The most weird, bizarre, silly stuff you can think of that you've heard through music. Thank you very much for all you do. Um, Hope you're all well. Talk to you soon. Bye. Oh my God, AGI. So I have an older gay brother. I don't know if that's relevant to the story, but I feel like it is because he had the B-52s on the record. So it was like, you know, we were into the, has anybody seen a dog died dark green, sunglasses and a bonnet, designer jeans with <laughs> appliques on it. We were like, what? Like, Keith Lorraine, <laughs> like, I'm like, how many drugs was that person on? Uh, nonsensical songs. You're so much better at this than I am. So you go first, because I bet you've already thought of one and I'll try and think of one. Um, my favorite nonsensical songs come from they might be giants, for example. Oh yes. Boat of Car is really good. And then of course, I'm going down to Cowtown, a cow's a friend to me. Lives beneath the ocean, that's where I will be beneath the waves, the waves, and that's where I will be. I'm gonna see the cow beneath the sea. Yeah. There you go. No. Although were they talk what was he whale watching? Is it really that obscure? <laughs> you won't answer any questions about their lyrics. I, I've asked multiple times. Oh my uh, god. The best I can I, lo- get I love them. Oh go ahead, go ahead. The best I can get out of them is the explanation of uh, birdhouse in your soul, which we already yeah. knew, right? Right. So. Not to put too fine a point on it. Say I'm only being your bonnet. Yeah, it's sung from the point of view. Uh, sung from the point of view of a, a bluebird nightlight in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love that song. It's one of my favorite ones.